0: Is the lockout version of the Talking Mariners podcast again? There's plenty of Mariners to talk again. They're making some serious moves, not the least of which gonna be the Cy Young Award winner they just brought in, Shannon. Robbie Ray is a Mariner, and we gotta take a loss on this one because we didn't even we've talked for hours about the Mariners offseason plans and have not one time mentioned Robbie Ray's name as a possibility, and yet here it is.
1: I'm going to say that I thought it was a possibility, but if I didn't say it out loud, it probably wasn't. So I guess that doesn't count. But before we get into all of this and and how it happened, I got to ask, I mean, how were you feeling when you were seeing Marcus Simeon's name come off the board? Other names come off the board. Texas Rangers. Oh, my gosh. They might be going for Corey Seager that night. And I think we were all on Twitter that night, and there was a lot of panic How were things in the Howdy household?
0: You and I, you helped me a lot through this because our previous conversations prepared me for the fact that I think the Mariners are going to add multiple pieces. I don't think that they're like the Detroit Tigers and we're going to put it all in on one guy. So when I saw one, a couple of guys go off, it didn't bother me. I wasn't, I wasn't upset. I was okay. I really never thought that the Mariners were going to go past six years on anybody. So The fact that Semyon went for seven, I said there was no way. That was never going to happen for the Mariners. So I was okay. I I did all right. What about you? Did you get swept up in it?
1: I didn't get swept up in it, but I did take mental note of, okay, this name is off the board. This name, the pool was shrinking a little bit. Was it panic worthy? No. But I was very much in kind of the mode, they got to get something done before this all shuts down. I totally agree with you on that.
0: That was the only part that I had been nervous about. And you and I had talked about this in previous episodes of this podcast. I've been concerned that the Mariners were thinking that the market was going to move fast before the deadline and that it wouldn't. And this last week has proved that wrong, that they were right. The market was going to move. Major names were going to sign. They had a good read on that. And that's really encouraging for me because that says they understand what's happening and they've been preparing for this. It's what they've been saying, and it's been being played out. So uh, I am encouraged, but I totally agree with you. If they had gone into this lockout with no players, major players signed or added via trade, I would have been really nervous that they weren't going to have enough time on the back end to fill the roster the way they need to to compete.
1: Right, and you might be forced into doing things that you, you didn't want to do or doing things a little bit too quickly when there might have been better options elsewhere. So with the number of needs that they had, they needed time. And, of course, they did pick up Adam Frazier before they picked up Ray, and we will get into that in just a bit. But I I think that, you know, we have talked about it, and I don't think people wanted to believe. I think a lot of people were believing it's all eggs in one basket here. It is Marcus Simeon or bust or, you know, name another player or bust. And that's not how they operate. So I I felt fairly confident that that's not what we were looking at right there. And one of the things, and, you know, I really encourage people, listen to Jerry Depoto; he'll tell you. He will. It might not be the names, but he'll tell you what he's looking for, what he's hoping to do. He is has been pretty open on that. And one of the things that really caught my ear and that he talked about, uh, I, I'm sure it was on a show with Mike Salk every Thursday, which was Wednesday this week, and will not be during the lockout. That's something we're losing, which is, is too bad. But he talked about the pitching market is moving quickly and in a sense said that they were shifting their focus to that. When he talked about... I asked him on the Zoom call, do you have offers out right now? He said three, maybe four. And it it did appear, he did say that we have kind of turned our attention to the pitching side. And and so to their credit, they are reading the market at that point. You are seeing the shortstops, seeing Baez go since Seager gone, Simeon gone. But the pitching was a critical need, too. We've talked about which shortstop names were not really in play, so don't worry about that too much. If you don't get the pitcher right now, if you want one of these prime guys, now is the time to move, and they did. They shifted their focus to that. Uh, we have since found out, it, it does not sound like Marcus Simeon was one of those contracts that he had out. He said one player was notable. I'm thinking maybe that was Gosman, but the deal with Robbie Ray, from my understanding, came together fairly Quickly.
0: Well, I'd love to hear more about that because this really did catch me by surprise and everybody that I know who enjoys watching the off season and rumors and Mariners, it wasn't a topic of conversation for us. And when I saw the terms come across, that five years, $115 million deal with a 30-year opt-out, I mean, I, I it's the last time I can remember cheering about a deal in my own home for the Mariners. I, I don't even know. That was... I was blown away. So tell me more about how this deal came to be the way it is.
1: Well, the way it, it we we talked to Jerry about it. they of course had the introductory press conference today and this is not something although I believe that you brought it up earlier in this in this offseason that was something that you were hoping that they would get creative in, in doing opt-outs, in doing maybe front-loaded contracts, and doing things like that. And it's not something that he has really done very much before. And he said, you know what, man, nah, it's, it's, this is how things are done now. So he's rolling with it. And I think that we're learning that there's been a lot more flexibility with him. They'll go six years. I don't think they'll go seven. But that's something I don't think people really believed he'd go six years for a long time. I don't think people believe that he would do an opt-out type deal. Well, that needs to happen right now. Probably wouldn't do a no trade. Robbie's got no trade for a couple of years in that one. Wouldn't give up a qualifying offer pick. Well, at the right time, yes, he will. So we're seeing that those doors are a lot more open at the appropriate time. And with Robbie Ray, there are some things that have come out in this story that I think bode so well for the Mariners. And there are so many times, so funny, it's when free agents used to come to the Mariners, To a man, they would say, I grew up watching Ken Griffey Jr. And I'm like, do they put the script in front of him? I mean, do you have to say that? (laughs) Probably, I mean, maybe. It might be true. A little bit. I mean, he is everybody, a lot, you know, he is a favor. But every single person who came through would say that. So kind of along those lines. And so now, oh, no, we love the Mariners. We've heard, you know, it's a great young team and all, you know, the things that you want the team to be seen for. But I think there's a lot of focus on the Kevin Mather breakfast meeting. There's a lot of focus on the Kendall Graveman outrage. There's a lot of focus on Kyle Seeger's leaving town and and things like that. So uh, to me, I, I think there was a question, is this really going to hurt them? Is this how they are perceived outside of Seattle? We know these details a lot more. If I talk to broadcasters or even some reporters from other cities, those aren't really things that come up with them. It, it's more on the field. I mean, these are more kind of in-house, in your backyard. Well, that's uncomfortable. That's not good type things. And so that might be a little bit more with the players that way, too. They do talk, but uh, I, been you know, hearing what happened with Robbie Ray, Was he on their board? Yes, he was on their board. Was he at the top of their board? I don't think he was at the top of their board. Had they made an offer to him when they made whatever that offer was last Saturday? No, they had not. Uh, Did Jerry Depoto talk with Robbie's uh, representation before that? Yes, but uh, it was the way that he told it is is that when he called and uh, expressed interest, he was immediately told, yeah, Robbie is interested in the Mariners.
0: What do you think that was? So he joined Mike Salk earlier this morning, too. He also spoke at a presser. Um, Getting into some of what you heard and and just what you kind of observe. what do you think it was that opened that door for Robbie Ray to consider the Mariners? Because I don't know that everybody's every free agent's door was open so far that has signed to the Mariners. We'll talk about Marcus Semien in a bit. Why do you think that door was open for him?
1: To be honest with you, and these are some of the more good things that come out, first of all, I did ask Jerry, is that a typical reaction that you get when you make a first call on a player? Does an agent say, oh, yeah, you're on the list, or my player? No, agents usually hold back, and that makes sense a little bit more than that. So that is not something you typically hear. If you remember, Robbie Ray was in Seattle pitching against them at the end of August, I believe it was, last year, and it was a weekend, and it wasn't the typical Toronto because the borders weren't open, but they did have a 28,000-fan night. They did have a 26,000-fan night. There were good crowds there, and things were starting to go. And uh, he did talk to some players. And he did talk with Mitch Haniger, who was a teammate in Arizona. And from everything I'm hearing, Mitch Haniger has been very active in helping with the recruiting, which... To me, I love that he is helping bring players in, and I love that he is taking ownership of his club. He's got one more year. We've talked about it all off season. get him extended. Uh, it's a two-way street. Both have got to want it, but I love seeing that commitment from his side in doing those things. I think that's big. And then in, in talking with Robbie a little bit today, I think it was just more of a no-nonsense. I think this was not everybody is going to get the biggest contract, I can get. There were things that were important to him as far as what the organization has to offer in, in the pitching coach and the analytics and how they handle their pitching. Uh he definitely wanted to be on a team that was ready to go. He talked about looking across the field and you felt it. You felt that this was a good group of guys and that this was a a team that was on the edge of taking that next step. So I think you put a lot of this together and a good offer, a fairly aggressive offer in that It it escalated very quickly. This wasn't a long, drawn-out, we'll get back to you. It was, you know, we're pushing this, we're pushing it forward on the table right now. This is what we got. This is what we want to do. And uh, I think that there was an element of the player wanting to, you know, get this done before the uncertainty as well. But when you take a look at all of that, you've got a Cy Young Award winner that's from Tennessee. Well, that wipes out. Nobody's going to want to come to Seattle. That's a long way from Tennessee. He saw enough that he liked in um, the conversations that he had in the Zooms that he had. Uh, he, I think, was sold quite a bit on the organization.
0: This deal is interesting to me because, I, I, like I said earlier, I was blown away by the terms. Uh, I thought for sure that he was going to be the pitching equivalent of the Marcus Semien deal this offseason, and here's what I mean. I was expecting that some team was going to look at him and say, that's a Cy Young, I'm paying him Cy Young money and just blow the market away, and that's how it was going to go. I don't know what team it was going to be, but I figured that would be how it would be, and the Mariners would be priced out of that. They weren't going to do that. When he came in for basically Kevin Gossman money with an opt-out, so basically making it a three-year deal, which is way shorter than I would have anticipated, it just, it to me said, Robbie Ray's interest in coming to the Mariners is that he believes it's better for him and his career to play in Seattle, in T-Mobile Park, with this roster and the direction this program is going, this is a baseball decision more than a business decision for him. And that that was a mutually beneficial thing. If he went to Seattle, this would be better for his career to do this three-year option, five years if it doesn't work out deal. He's going to succeed more here in his mind, and that's what he wants.
1: Right, and he could have waited until after and the frenzy and everything else. I would think there would have been a big deal out there for him. We haven't really seen uh new york get involved yet there are a lot of teams that need pitching right now james paxton the deal that he got can you believe that no. he got more
0: money than he got last year with the mariners for pitching eight pitches this last season oh and i
1: went back and i listened to some conversations of people that were all well, you know the, the mariners they just absolutely should put that million dollar offer i would definitely be you know worth it 10 million dollars and he will not be ready to pitch until mid-season
0: amazing The only thing I can think to describe that is that people thought his arm was going to explode and they were just waiting for it to happen. And now that it's done, they don't have any concerns about his injury future. That's the only way I can describe how this deal even makes remote sense compared to what he signed for last year. It just, there's no reason why he would get paid. Which is why
1: I would have gone Verlander over (laughs) over Max Scherzer. Sure.
0: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So Robbie Ray is in the door. I mean, do you think they're done in the rotation? Is there more left in the rotation?
1: Oh, no. He's looking for another starter.
0: So he said coming in Jerry DiPoto, and like you said, I agree with you. Ever since ever since they traded Edwin Diaz, he's been very forthright about how he was going to build the team and what he was going to do. That's my read on how Jerry DiPoto has been approaching talking about his additions and actually making them. So I agree with you. He said two pitchers. So that's what we're looking for. Robbie Ray is one. Some of the big infielder names are off the table. A lot of the outfielders have not signed Starling is the only one who's signed. Do you think that the, the money that he's got allocated for additions, do you think that's more on the pitching side still, or do you think it's going to round out the back of the rotation? No,
1: I think the, mat, or the, mat, the bat right now is the priority, but I think that what you're going to be looking at probably is um, somebody established, somebody solid. I don't think you're looking at your number two. Uh, might not be your number five either, though, for that matter. And I think that that player more likely is to come and trade. But the fact that you've added Ray, it's not absolutely critical that you do add at this point. But if you do, and if it is something that is more than a five, then not only have you bought yourself time with your younger pitchers, your George Kirby's, who I expect that you are going to see this year, your Matt Brashes, your Emerson Hancocks, but you also go into the season. With, I mean, we're talking quite a bit about what has been done with the bats that Texas has added in particular. You're coming in with one of the strongest rotations, definitely, in the division. And if you are able to add, like, a 2 or a 3 to this rotation, then you're looking at probably one of the best in the American League at that point.
0: And that's an exciting prospect for a Mariners team that, I mean, their strength has been their bullpen in the times that they've been good recently. They've got a young bullpen that's got everyone coming back, plus some additions coming in. So you already have a strength in pitching. Your rotation last year, you can say that it wasn't what you needed it to be, but it was not bad. They did not have a bad rotation, and especially once Tyler Anderson came in and stabilized the back half for the stretch run, it was a pretty good rotation. And now you've added some top-end talent. I don't think they're far away at all from what you're talking about. If they get a serviceable back-end rotation guy, I think you can say that they're a legitimate contender for top-five rotations in the American League. Absolutely.
1: With your best arms coming. But they're going to need time, as we saw last year. And you know we will see how all of that plays out. But I would be at this point surprised if they did not add another starter to the rotation.
0: So let's talk the big names then, because we, we entered the off season knowing that the Mariners were going to target impact bats, at least one. And like you mentioned, there have been a few that have come off the board. That are no longer available. As we sit here, there's a couple hours left until the potential lockout. What names do you think the Mariners are considering in terms of impact bats that could be coming to Seattle, either now in this last couple hours or right after the lockout ends?
1: Well, I think obviously you've heard and you've seen on social media the two names that are getting the most play right now are Trevor Story and Chris Bryant, oh, your, Chris guy. Bryant I, your guy. Chris Bryant, I'm so right surprised. There. That said, I think it's probably in that order.
0: Interesting. What? uh What? Just from an objective perspective, why do you think that they might prioritize that in the in that order?
1: I think that's a good question, and, and I think it might be a little bit more. I I don't know for sure, but it seems like one is more likely to move before the other. And I think that they have so many options that they can make right now that. They, I think there can be a take it or leave it or we're going to go in this direction. I don't think they are going to wait out. There's never been that one eggs in the basket guy. We talked about that with Simeon. I know you love Bryant. It's never been you know Chris Bryant or, or Bust. Um, and they do like Trevor Story and they've liked him for some time. The thing that has my interest on this is they do still really like Abraham Toro. Where is he playing?
0: Tough to see, I would Because,
1: guess. and I'll go ahead and throw this out there, another name that they are, are, are going to be very in on, and I also don't think this happens until after the deadline. And just to be clear, when we talked with Jerry Depoto earlier today, he said there were some things that could get done. They do have offers out. They have been in trade talks. And they do have the means to get the physical done if it needs to get done to be official by tonight. That would not be necessary in a trade. They usually just exchange medicals in that situation. Um, But Matt Chapman is very much of interest as well and always has been. So, again, if you really like Chapman, if you really like Story, if you really like Bryant, and you really like Toro, how does all of this work?
0: It's tough to see all of those guys fitting together, especially with Frazier in the fold now, too. It's another infield bat that you have to find a spot for. I mean, you should find a spot for. He's a dependable contact-patience hitter, absolutely. I don't know. I don't know how that fits. What do you see?
1: I don't know, because he just keeps talking about the flexibility, and then he kind of dropped a hint that Toro can play other places too. I don't think we're going to see him in the outfield, but are we?
0: It's certainly a possibility. They were willing to roll him out at second base kind of on a hope. It's not that he's a career second baseman or had a ton of time out there, too. And I, I think we both agree, and we've talked about this, that it probably wasn't a plus situation to have him at second base defensively. But, you know, it's possible that they put him in the outfield. I, I don't know that there's a roster spot for Abraham Toro if you continue to add infielder types like that. Or I don't know if there's enough that types. Bats.
1: I mean, there's also, you know, they are talking, you know, they had a Zoom with, say, a Suzuki, and by the way, Hmm. I am now sold on Seiyu Suzuki.
0: I am. I'm right there with, we probably came from different angles to get to the same spot, but I'm right there with you. Tell me more.
1: I watched the video. I forgot who put it out on YouTube, the the highlight after highlight. And then you have to tell yourself, well, these are the highlights. So of course it looks great. Love the swing. Love. It's to all fields. It's to all fields. And I love the eye. And, you know, just see, just, I'd talk to a few people about him, but to sit down and really look at the numbers and to see how things translate right now and the fact that he does not strike out, man, I 10 minutes of video and I was sold, which is why <laughs> I am not a general manager right there. But I, if, I was won over pretty quickly because I also have that little bit of a panic factor right now in that if you start looking at your three big hitters in the lineup, who are they and how do they stack up against the three big hitters in the rest of the division's right. lineups? And, and that
0: really did get exposed towards the end of the season when you started to see the Mariners match up against the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Blue Jays. And you look at those top threes, that was the, to me, that was the real big difference. The top end hitter prospects of the Mariners compared to those, it just wasn't a comparison.
1: No, so I'm on with... base is great, but. You know, you're relying on Jared Kelnick for that thump right now and trying to put the lineup together. Who's batting third? Who's batting fourth? That to me, you need the thump, and Suzuki appears to have the thump, and the ability to advance the lineup as well.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I don't know that I have as much belief in Suzuki's power translating to that 35 home run kind of power right off the bat. I would me. take 30 at this point. And I, you know, and I, I would say that that's, that's my upper end projection of what I would expect out of him in year one. To me, if the Mariners are really, if they're not going to be able to get one of the big names in free agency for hitters, I, I'm not going to panic because the market inefficiency in baseball for the past few years and continues to be one-year power hitters. One-year power hitters go for minimal prospects, and the money on those guys is typically not a big deal. So if the Mariners need a Joey Gallo type for a year, I think that's pretty attainable without giving up your top prospects. And I think it gets you through this year to get to the guy you really want to have. Now, that doesn't preclude you from looking at somebody who is maybe two years away from free agency who is a star and ready to be extended, but their team doesn't necessarily want to pull the trigger and you're ready, they can do that too. But I think that there's options to get middle-of-the-order bats for next year, even if they don't sign somebody. I, but where I,
1: do you put them? I mean, that's the other thing.
0: Yeah, and that's that's part of the challenge with having your corner outfielders be the ones that you are for sure about. You're for sure about Mitch Haniger, and you're for sure about Jared Kelnick unless you can make sure that he's a center fielder, it's just not a natural fit to add those power hitters because you don't necessarily have a corner outfield spot that's a gaping hole. If you had left field or right field open, you can basically add any hitter you want and put them out there. That's why Kyle Schwarber's not high on my list for the Mariners because you don't really have that corner outfield spot and you don't really want to design your team to have your DH taken up by one player every day. That's not how Jerry DePoto's built this roster. He's gone to great lengths to not build it that way. So my interest is peaked for some longer term guys that are corner outfielders and you just find a way to get by if you expect Mitch Haniger to not come back. I'm very in on Michael Conforto if you know for sure that Mitch Hanniger's not coming back after next season. But if he is, I'm not really sure how Michael Conforto fits. Same thing with Kyle Schwarber. All these corner outfielder guys who would make huge impacts for the Mariners this year and you could get by with piecing by piecing center field together. To add one of those guys in the corner, it doesn't make sense long-term with Mitch Haniger there.
1: I think the only way that happens is if you absolutely whiff on all the third-base candidates.
0: And you're kind of down to two and trades.
1: Well, but the trade is significant.
0: The trade is significant. I mean, the only real names that we have targeted at third-base that could be a difference-making potential for them are Matt Chapman and Jose Ramirez who we talked about, the prospect price is going to be exorbitant on that. Are there any other names that we haven't been talking about and looking at?
1: Well, Joey Wendell, but he's off the table. And again, that was just a short term until you get to Noel V. Marte. He's
0: a projection guy, too. He's he's had some production, but he's not, he's not even to Matt Chapman's level of offensive production. Oh, like yeah. No, expect. no,
1: no, no. But then that would be a case of if that's what you got down to and then you're looking, then you have to add in the outfield if you did something like that. But no, I mean, you're looking at Story and Bryant right now for that impact.
0: I I will continue to make the case that Chris Bryant is the kind of player that they've been talking about all offseason. Take Jerry DePoto at his word, versatility, championship ability, the humility to play whatever position you need despite what your profile is. His, I was looking at some of his deeper numbers. I'm not big into deep numbers because I don't fully understand them, but his hard hit rate is just about the same last year as it always has been. His time with the Giants, he didn't put up the same power numbers. His slugging was down, but his hard hit rate was higher than it was with the Cubs earlier in the year. So I, I think that there is plenty to be excited about there. I have my concerns about Trevor Story. And elbows bother me <laughs> and concern me. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the cores effect is a big deal, and he's shown it in his splits. So I have my concerns about that, but I wouldn't be upset if that's the direction they end up going.
1: No, no. It's, you know, as we've kind of said all along, if you start the season next year and Abraham Toro is in that kind of utility, move around, play a lot, then very good things have happened. If he's at third base, then you've whiffed on a, on a bunch.
0: So let's talk about Marcus Semyon. So this was the name that Mariners fans very obviously had pegged as the perfect fit. And I agree. He would have been the perfect fit for this team in terms of he checked every box that you need leadership clubhouse, second base, excellent defender proven in the AL West never really had that major down year or that injury situation you need to worry about. I mean, he, he had it all. I'm, I'm okay with them not going seven years, but what do you think happened with Marcus Semien and the Mariners?
1: Seven years, and I think it was I think it was you know Scott Boris, you, know, give me your best that you've got here, and they would not go above six years on that, and you know with the options that they have, that was probably the right call, and when you have a Texas that is going to go all out, and I said this that you know so I was asked on a show who is the Mariners' biggest competition for him, and I said a team that's going to go out and spend stupid, and the Rangers are spending stupid right now, and they're probably not done. There
0: are two teams in baseball who spent stupid so far: the Mets and the Rangers. Right. We talked about the Rangers last time before they'd made any of these real moves, and you had said, "I yeah, I expect them to be bigger spenders." I agreed with you, but i I was caught, I was caught off guard about three weeks ago when I had started hearing there was just more than one shortstop that they were going to go get. They weren't just going to go get a shortstop. I thought that's what they were going to do. Them and the Tigers were going to get a shortstop and call it good. Right. But, yeah, you, you had that pegged. They were going to be big spenders, and it impacted the Mariners.
1: It did, but, again, this was if that was ever going to be a problem, this is the year to do it because there were other options, and the Mariners weren't going to get tied up in that. They weren't going to get into a bidding war for that. And I think that that is what it came down to. I think we spent so much time thinking, well, Marcus Simeon's from the West Coast. He's going to want to play in the West. He was going for the contract. That happens. And I think that they found that out relatively early on.
0: What do you make of the Rangers now, having spent all the money they have and adding a bunch of players? You've got an AL West that's taken up a majority of spending in the American League. What do you make of all this? How has the AOS been shaped so far based on what's happened in free agency?
1: Well, as long as they don't go buy a bunch of pitchers, I'm okay with it. You know, the Mariners still have a lot that they have to do offensively, but the Rangers, uh, they've got miles to go with the pitching. And it, its we have been watching them for the last few years and just scratching our head, and what is the plan here? Because they did kind of get sucked into keeping veterans a little bit too long there. And then you take a look at the young players, and really not a lot of success with them. Farm system not good. What are they going to do? You looked at it, and it was just a mismatch. <laughs> we're just going to go spend a lot of money, but we've seen teams do that before. And you know the Padres, and, and they did it over a couple of seasons, with the second season, and they that they did it somewhat similar in impact, but uh, they were also more built up at that point. This somebody said, and I think I agree would be pretty much if you took the 2019 Mariners and added these players to it. Yeah. You're still not a playoff team. Not by a long (laughs) shot. Yes. At that point. So, uh, it's, um, curious. It's definitely eye catching. Uh, I think Ranger fans obviously are going to love it. That building was full anyway. I think they were the second-best attendance in the American League last year, which has a lot to do with this, which is why they built the new ballpark, so good for the fans there. But you can't just do it on offense alone, and there are just too many holes in the pitching there. Uh, I'm waiting to see what move the Astros are going to make.
0: Do you think that there's a legitimate chance that Correa comes back there now that some of the dust has settled in other places?
1: I think he's got to be a Yankee, doesn't he? I
0: don't know. I don't know. Yankees have
1: been far too quiet.
0: They have. I was reading today that there's some thought that the the Yankees really want to have a great grasp on how the finances are going to work after the deadline at some of these blue blood programs. It, it programs like college universities. Uh, some of these blue blood organizations really do want to know what the future holds before they start making moves that they don't feel desperate that they feel like they have the ability to sit back and wait so I'll be curious I'll be curious to see how those things look the Dodgers are another one that I'm going to watch out for how they want to use their money and their resources I can't imagine they're just going to sit by and watch this thing go by I know there's Chris Taylor and everything that they've been working on and getting through I'm sure that'll be done by the time we post Um, you know I think there's there's plenty of teams out there that can reach for Carlos Correa, especially if they teams like the finances that come out of this next CBA.
1: Do you think there's any chance he doesn't top Seager's number?
0: No. No. I don't think there's any chance. The only thing that I could see is that he takes a really high deal in the first couple of years with an opt-out. So he goes... 330 but the first few three 330 million 10 years 330 million dollars so 33 a year which tops the 325 that Seeger got but mo- there's a front load to that that he's making 40 million a year for the first three with an opt-out i could see him doing something like that he's young enough where he'd be 30 years old when he would get to free agency again under new financial circumstances yeah i could see that i could absolutely see that
1: It'll be interesting to see. I mean, his next month probably isn't going to be that comfortable.
0: Yeah, but he's got to know on the back end that he's the best shortstop out there. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows that he's the best option on the free agent market. He's not going to get end up you know, regretting the decision to wait and get a good deal. He's going to get a great deal. I don't know where it's going to be, but he's going to be the highest paid free agent in the offseason, no matter when he signs. I'm very sure of that.
1: Well, I don't see... I mean... Can't imagine whether what Houston offered him before, that they would make that much of a jump.
0: I can, I can, I I absolutely can. I think they will. Um, I I I think that that was just a little bit of posturing, and that coming back on the other side when it all gets serious, that they'll come up close to that number or exceed it. I think they will.
1: I mean, they have to have known that it was going to be the number was going to start with a three. They have to have known that.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't think that they wanted to be caught with their pants down and sign the big deal and then find out that the market didn't match it for everybody else. But now that they know the terms of Corey Seager's deal, they know what they're dealing with. They don't have to worry about the one- being the ones that set the market for everybody. They can just react to what happened. So, yeah, I think that they didn't put their best foot forward in the renegotiations because they wanted to make sure that they got market right, and uh, that's. I think that's what they will end up offering at the end.
1: And the teams that would be interested could be concerned about the tax threshold, waiting to see what happens with that coming out of the lockout as well.
0: Absolutely. So the Mariners did make one other move. Well, they really made two, uh, the re-signing of Andres Munoz to an extension, which uh, caught a lot of people by surprise. I was a little bit surprised by it, but I think it's a very sensible deal for the Mariners, and... To be honest, I'm a little surprised that Munoz's camp was really interested in doing that deal as well, especially considering the club options that came on the back end of it. Uh, So we'll talk a little bit about that here, but I also want to get your opinion on what happened with the Frazier deal. The Mariners adding all-star second baseman Adam Frazier from the Padres. Uh, Some talk that he could be moved into more of a utility role depending on what else the Mariners do. What was your reaction and read on the Adam Frazier deal?
1: Well, I, I think it is the... One of the golden rules of Jerry DePoto when you're trying to figure out what he will do, what has he missed out on before? Mm. And mm. you are following that with your Chris Bryant obsession. Yes. So, you know, you've got <laughs> that going for you on that one. But um, he often does go back to those. At first, you know, Ty France was one of those. If you don't succeed, go back and try again. So, it, it is a, num- a name that perhaps. No, no, we shouldn't have been focused on because who would have thought that the first move would be a second baseman? Nobody, not one of the big five or six. Nobody saw that coming. And uh, the interesting there thing there is, it's for one year, mm-hmm. and it also, I, I think, is reinforcing just how much he values that flexibility and how we could see them next year. And, and we've we've talked quite a bit about that. How's everybody going to fit? Well. You know, lefties, righties, this day, that day, this type of pitcher, that type of pitcher. It it could be a real mismatch. We we probably will never see the same lineup with the way it looks like. It it is stacking up right now, and apparently that's not something he was doing because he had to do. That is something that he prefers to do.
0: Uh, We talked a little bit about market inefficiencies, and Adam Frazier falls right into that category. He's not a power hitter, but he's making $7.5 million in the last year of his deal. And, uh, you know, I talked about this last week that I thought the Mariners could be interested in taking on some shorter-term salaries at a higher value from teams that would like to spend otherwise. They'd like to free up some of that space to make a bigger move. I don't know that the Padres are going to make a bigger move, but I'm sure that they were looking at Adam Frazier's contract and saying, this isn't the best way we can spend $7.5 million and the Mariners are looking in and saying, I have the ability to absorb that, and it's not going to impact anything that I really want to do to change my organization. It's not going to prevent me from anything. And so I think that this was a great move. If he hits 260 for you and plays 120 games, it's a win. i will be that. his
1: worst year if he does that, Exactly, much.
0: and it's still a win for the Mariners. Look what they got at second base last year. If you can replace Dylan Moore's production, and I like Dylan Moore as a prospect, and a potential bounce back for next year. I don't know if he'll still be on the roster, but if you can replace his production last year with 260 and not a lot of strikeouts and some great defense, you're a playoff team last year. That's the bottom. That's two games, at least. You're a playoff game team. So, yeah, I'm really excited about this kind of move. I think this is the kind of move that the Mariners are well positioned to do, and I would expect they're going to add a couple more players this way getting some guys who are maybe paid a little bit more than their current team is comfortable with, and the Mariners are okay with that number for a year or two. I could absolutely see that being the way that they improve their 2022 team.
1: I don't think it's a desired. I think what he really wants is he wants those big bats in the middle of the order.
0: Well, there are four left that I can count. (laughs) Maybe five. If you want to count Nick Castellanos, which... As a name that's never been linked to the Mariners.
1: Well, it was actually once.
0: Oh yeah, oh, when he a was long a Tiger, time ago. Yeah, <laughs> a third no. baseman for the Tigers. No,
1: I I can't <laughs> even remember. The Mariners made a trade with the Tigers. I want to say for a reliever. Was
0: it wasn't Doug Fister? Was it? I
1: don't think it was Fister. I'd have to go look this up. But at the time, there was a player, a prospect to be named later. And for about 24 hours, it looked like it was going to be Castellanos. And not that that was actually available to them, but that's what the media was believing. That was the word that was out, and it wasn't. Can you imagine if Castellanos... I'm going to have to go back and look up that trade. I do not remember what that was. Can Castellanos
0: play third? Can we convince him to go back and play third base? Oh, that's what's
1: so funny, because I've got so many people tweeting me, uh, are they looking at Seiya Suzuki for third base?
0: (laughs) He (laughs) played third base in in Japan. He's played it before. It is in his repertoire that he has done that. Now, his worst offensive career in that league was in a year that he moved around positions, but he has played third base. And I'll be honest, one of the takeaways that I had in watching some film of Seiya Suzuki is that I'm not, I'm not wild about how much weight he carries. So I could see the potential of him maybe being more of a, can we plug him in at a spot and just have him be there and play him for his bat and not really be an asset in the field? He's got a good arm from what I understand. But if they wanted to go that route, I could see them going that way. It's just not natural. But all the same, all the same, Castellanos. Okay. Castellanos, That's Kyle He, he wants a ridiculous
1: contract. Schwarber yep. is not a fit.
0: Yep. Uh, Michael Conforto.
1: Again, that's going to be a big contract.
0: You know, it probably will be, but he's a qualifying offer guy. His advanced metrics say breakout, come back to normal form. His traditional numbers say he may have plateaued. So... I don't know. I don't know if he's got a huge contract attached to him. So, And there's definitely a hometown element here, If him growing up in Redmond, Washington. He's right here. And he is the style of player. He's not a natural position fit, again, because he's a corner outfielder almost exclusively. So, I, you know, that's a name that's worth watching, I think.
1: It's worth watching. I think that's the longest of shots.
0: Interesting. Interesting.
1: I think that would probably be behind Suzuki. And you're not... I think, going to Suzuki until you've exercised all your options on third base. Now, I hope I'm wrong. It'd be awesome if you can pick up a third baseman and Suzuki, but at that point, I think you are out of a Castellanos or a Conforto.
0: The other names, obviously, are Trevor Story and Chris Bryant. After that, I don't know that the free agent market has much left for you in terms of impact hitters. Is there anybody we're missing?
1: No, I think, yeah, I I think that's where the focus has been, and rightly so. There's nothing at, oh, Freddie Freeman, but that's obviously not a fit.
0: Well, I don't know about obviously not a fit for me, but I think that he is going to command a really, really large contract, and it's going to be really hard to beat the, I would guess that the Braves will have a last writer, first writer for refusal on him, that he'll take whatever contract he gets from somebody else and take it to them, and I think it'll be hard to have a contract where the Braves will say no. So, you know, I think positionally he fits just fine. I'm perfectly fine with moving Ty France around and having him play more DH than you're comfortable with if I get Freddie Freeman. Absolutely. That's a tone setter. Where's
1: Kyle Lewis going to fit into all of this?
0: You know, there's an interesting element to the Mariners' situation, and Adam Frazier was really the thing that set this in motion for me. They were able to get a starting caliber player for their 26-man roster without dipping into any of their tier one or two minor league assets and that's not even talking about we're gonna get uncomfortable by talking some names that's not dealing with guys like Justin Dunn, Justice Sheffield, Luis Torrens, Taylor Trammell, this sort of group Dylan Moore for if anyone is kind of down that road this whole group of controllable young pre-arbitration players that has proven something at the major league or showing some serious promise but may not necessarily fit in the Mariners' contention timeline trying to win next year and the year after. There could be some interesting matchups to get maybe even better players than Adam Frazier dipping into some of that pool. What do you think of that?
1: I don't think that's going to be enough.
0: Not for a Jose Ramirez type. I'm with you on that, but can you see them getting an above-average power hitter on a shorter-term deal, a guy like Gallo's the name because I just his 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 profile in terms of numbers and contract and status with the team sort of fits perfectly. But that kind of a player on a one year deal, that's you know sitting on a team they may not necessarily need him anymore. That might be a good enough starting point. You're giving up essentially if you give up two of those players and an 18 year old, that's eight years of club control of starting caliber players for a rebuilding team to get an all-star caliber, caliber guy in a short-term deal.
1: Maybe. I think you're overvaluing some of those players.
0: What about throwing somebody in like Mishevitz? Some guys who are young controllable starting pitchers as well, Justin Dunn and and Sheffield yeah. fit that category.
1: I haven't really heard those names out there as far as, you know, anybody asking, you know, what are these guys like? What do you see in these guys? I don't know that those are attractive names. Now, there is obviously a need for pitching, and I think the Mariners obviously would be, you know, open to trading along those lines. But I think that the names that they're getting hit on more for significant type players, I do think that you are looking more at your Williamson's, at your Levi Stout's. Your younger players, not those that are at the major league level and have struggled.
0: So let's talk through some of the Mariners' trade situation because Jerry Depoto mentioned today they do have some trades on the table that they're looking at and considering with other teams. You and I both expect that the Mariners will be active in the trade market at some point in this offseason. I think that they'll be pretty active. I think they'll make at least one, I would say up to three or four deals just based on how their current roster sits. What do you think that, you would project forward for the Mariners in the trade market?
1: It's going to be interesting on the starting pitching side. Uh, from it, it sounds like that's where it's going to come from, is the trade market. Um, and then I think, again, and I'll go back to what I said earlier, I think Matt Chapman remains of a, a, a huge interest. So whether you're dealing with, at this point, you know, in pitching, maybe dealing with the A's, maybe dealing with the Reds, possibly dealing with the Marlins, I think that you are looking at the same kind of players that they are all going to be interested in. Maybe the Marlins a little bit more Major League ready at this point because they're making a go of it right now. And again, I think that the A's, you could look at them. You know, We've talked about the package deals. You could look with the Reds. I, I don't know that Castillo is a move that they have to make right now if it is going to cost them. Now, would you want to make that move? Absolutely. If you can get them to take a Williamson, build it around a Williamson type. If you can get them to do a deal without putting any of your top five, six, seven in that, then I think that's something that you go after. But you don't have that absolute need at getting that kind of arm. So the Mariners, I think when it sets up for trade, in pitching in particular, are in very good shape right now. Now, if they come out of the lockout, and if they have not been able to land a Trevor Story or a Chris Bryant at that point, then they're not in as good a position right now on the bat side.
0: So I'm in an interesting spot just in how I I look at where the Mariners sit presently in the offseason. If their trade strategy hinges on Story and Bryant, I think the odds are probably against them in my mind signing one of those two because there's a lot of competition and there are a lot of suitors out there. I think they have as good a chance as anybody, but I would say I'd give it a 40% chance they get one of those two guys. So a 60% chance that they're looking to fill their lineup with that impact bat in another spot. To me, Matt Chapman is is impact potential, but that's not right off the bat impact bat.
1: I think they see it as it might be.
0: You know, that's tough. That's going to be tough for me to swallow because you need a bounce back for him to be considered an impact bat.
1: Well, let's look what he's bouncing back from, okay? I mean, he was coming back from a very tough surgery all of last year, and then he also was spending the second half of that season on a team that was decidedly going in a very, very bad direction.
0: It was. There's no way to sure. And, yes, he did have a 3.5 war. He did hit 27 home runs.
1: He's yeah and even yeah. Down. and let's go ahead and talk about the power right there, as much as he was struggling with everything else, and he was struggling he was was just missing in the zone, which was was kind of odd. It's not something that he has done before, and again, coming back from the surgery he was coming back from, he might not have ever gotten comfortable at the play. he might not have ever found it last year, and then everything starts to snowball, yet still, when he was connecting, he was getting his he was getting his power numbers, and the defense obviously did not take a hit. Over at third base. I think that with, every you know, coming off the injury plus change of scenery, that was a horrible situation they were in last year. Horrible. They knew that thing was going to get torn down pretty early. So I, I'm not putting too much into his off season. I feel okay about that.
0: I think he is very primed to bounce back. I totally will. I'll agree with everyone on that spot he is primed to bounce back. That said he has to bounce back in order for that to be an impact move. Otherwise, that's a a roster filling type move that's valuable, but that's not the that doesn't help you compete with the Red Sox, Blue Jays and Yankees in terms of thump in the middle of the order unless he is who he was before. So to me, if they want impact bat, I'd like to see them get somebody who in the trade market or in the free agent market who would be considered that guy right off the bat that I wouldn't have that kind of doubt he'd have a, a strong year right off the bat
1: would you have had that doubt before last before this year
0: well that's the thing i got to have last year
1: yeah but <laughs> so, that can happen for any player at any time
0: it can but it did happen for him so now i need him to bounce back in order to prove that he's still that guy
1: so you don't feel you're not nervous about what chris bryant did in san francisco last year
0: His numbers in San Francisco were better than Chapman's were all year long. And he's a more complete player all the way around. So, yeah, I don't have the same kinds of concerns about Chris Bryant. I have more concerns about Chris Bryant in three years than I do about Matt Chapman in three years, but that's not really a part of the conversation.
1: (laughs) It should be. No. It should be. We're not worried
0: about that right now.
1: being a little reactionary here right now, aren't you?
0: We need three good years out of whoever they bring in. Because you can recover, you can build your direction completely differently in three years than you can right now, but you need three great years out of the people that you bring in. That's what you can control. After that, you can't control anything. So, yeah, I uh, I don't have as many concerns about Chris Bryant because even if he plays at his San Francisco level, that's still incredible value playing all the way across the field and all those different positions. And if he improves even a little bit at third base with Perry Hill working with him and getting a little bit better there. He's
1: still nowhere close to Matt Chapman defensively. No, he's not. But you
0: get you get so much more value out of that and the, the ability to play hotter hands and the ability to move your lineup around. I just, there's just so much to like about that. And there's so many less concerns in the next couple of years about a guy like Chris Bryant than there is about Matt Chapman for me.
1: All because Matt Chapman came off of an injury and, had a a somewhat rough... I mean, if you look at what he... It was the first half that absolutely killed him.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he hit, what, he hit 200 in in September and October. He hit a little bit above 220 in August. It's all year long. It was rough. Second half
1: OPS for Chris Bryant was 809. For Matt Chapman, it was 791. You having these fits over less than 20 points?
0: I don't know. It just... I just have more concerns. It just it just stresses me out a little bit more. Now there is a positive in Oakland that he's playing in a terrible hitters ballpark over there. It's not well suited for his game at all. So, yeah, I'd be more excited about him and sit in t T-Mobile than I would for him in the Coliseum, but I don't know. Plus you have to give up prospects for Matt Chapman. He's not going to come cheap. I don't think the the I don't think the A's at all are going to sell their guys cheap because everybody's going to be salivating over the guys they have. They're the guys that they'll be selling are perfect for contending teams. Absolutely perfect. And because of that, there's going to be a lot of people lined up at their door, and they'll have been waiting at their door all off season long. Because from my understanding, they've had their doors locked with a sign on the front that says, See us in the new CBA. Mm-hmm. And because of that, teams are going to be spending a lot of time figuring out what they want to offer to get that deal
1: done. Yeah, and I think a lot of teams have been sitting back and waiting for that. The ones that you're not hearing about right now—it's the reason why—sitting back and waiting for that. And you know, Matt Olson is going to be a huge target. The pitching is going to be a huge target. Chapman, maybe a little bit less because of the unease that you have—that I do not believe that the Mariners have.
0: Third base is a weak position in baseball. It's not how it used to be in terms of the available talent. So. But yeah, I agree with you. There are going to be some teams that are more scared away than others, and the Mariners will have a better read on Matt Chapman than most, based on how much time they get to see him in person. So yeah, and, and you you know what he's like in the AL West. You know what he's like against all these pitchers. There's a lot of known quantity there that I would trust if the Mariners make that deal. They believe that it's going to work out, and I would trust that it probably will. From an outsider's perspective, I have more concern, but I get concerned when thinking about the Mariners' trade targets and dealing with the usual suspects. You mentioned the Marlins pitching, the Reds pitching, the A's pitching. We, we talk about those because those teams are very open. They want to deal. And that always makes me nervous because if, if I know that they're open to dealing guys and the names they're talking about, I can only imagine how many general managers are trying to bid for those services and the prospect price that's going to go with that. Jerry Depoto has done a great job of making deals for players and with teams that we're not talking about and thinking about. You've you've mentioned that quite a bit in our podcast here. So I would expect that when the Mariners do make their additions to the lineup and the rotation via trade, it won't be for the players that everyone's been talking about. That's my read on it. I think that there's a good chance they make two or three additions, and it will be with the non-usual suspects.
1: I think there's a good chance on the pitching side in particular, that if they do do that, it's going to be a name that's more recognizable. I don't think it's going to be, here's Nate Carnes. You know, we were all, who's Nate Carnes when all of that happened? Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be somebody that's a little bit more established.
0: That would be exciting for Mariners fans. And I think that's right. It's appropriate. You mentioned earlier in the podcast that Jerry DiPoto was proving this year that some of the stuff that we had said, his philosophies are X, and his limits are why those were conditions of where the Mariners were in their process of building a winner and they are now at a spot where they the rules have changed because their goals are different their goals now are to build a playoff team with the controllable roster they have and the payroll flexibility they have so I think that's a really exciting spot and I think it opens the door for them to be creative, to, like you said, not put all their eggs in one basket with guys, and to be able to fit whoever's available for the right situation for the Mariners. I I think that there are plenty of names out there that will make the Mariners better, and I think we're going to see a couple of trades, at least one that we're going to look at and say, that price was really worth that guy. Mm -hmm. I can't believe they did that. We had that reaction with Robbie Ray's contract. I would expect to see the same thing in a trade. I felt that way about Adam Frazier. I can't believe that that's what it took to get that guy. I mean, Ray Kerr probably was, uh, you know, in danger of not being on the Mariners within a year or two, just based on his age and his status with 40-man rosters and everything. I mean, he's not a guy that they needed to find space for. And then, you know, what, an 18th-round pick from last year's draft was the other prospect that went in that deal? and that netted you an all-star caliber second baseman. What else is out there for the Mariners that we're not in we're not seeing right now? I think there's plenty more they could do to really impact their roster through trades?
1: I think there is, and we're not even talking about what we talked about in the last podcast, and those you hit on it a little bit, but some different players, those that are already at the major league level. And is there an interest in Abraham Toro, which the more I hear, the more I think the Mariners really, really, really do like him and hold on to him, but that makes me wonder how much he would be to another team, especially if you get another infielder.
0: And Jerry Depoto proved when he traded Edwin Diaz that he's willing to move on from guys he loves. The Mariners loved Edwin Diaz. Mm -hmm. I took them at their word that they believed he was going to be a cornerstone for their bullpen and it and yet they were willing to attach him to Robinson Canó to make a a deal that was better for the organization they bit they bit the bullet Look, on that they, they can afford
1: they can afford to do that they can afford to part with just about any prospect they really can if we can sit here I wrote this the other day and think of you know five different names we do not want to give up three different names we do not want to give up There is all the more reason that you should give up if you actually have the need right there. Don't trade just to trade, but if there is a targeted specific need, you're going to be okay if you give up one of these guys.
0: It's not a real deal, but you can move anybody. You can move Jared Kelnick if you are able to get somebody like Juan Soto and sign him to a deal. Mm Mm-hmm. You have the ability to absorb that and not have it be this enormous risk.
1: And there has been interest in Kelnick. I've had other teams ask me about Jared Kelnick.
0: And it's an interesting thing to watch. I mean, if you're truly serious about next year being competitive and you have the ability to get a young superstar, you have to consider that.
1: But for now, we're going to let the young superstar grow and see what happens. Absolutely. Not saying in any way, shape, or form this is something that should happen, but it is something that other teams are thinking, and it's worth knowing that, that they are looking, that these are players that are being targeted. And uh, Jerry can do just about anything because of the number of prospects, the number of players that he has. And we're going to have to wrap this up right now. But, again, you were pointing out this is where they are in the rebuild. We're doing things differently. Uh, We're spending money. We are not worried about qualifying offers. We are not worried about opt outs in contracts. Uh, we're going out there and oh, we don't have to acquire by trade. We can go out there and spend the dollars and How fun was it just to see the uh, tender date deadline yesterday and not really even have to look at any of those names?
0: so good oh and i didn't have to you didn't have to convince me why it was important to have a certain reliever at the end of the forty man roster. I'm so thankful for that <laughs>
1: Well, there's a gem right there he could be the 26th man they or he can't can be let in, this guy oh, go hell, that happen? you can do something with that player now nah, they've taken a step forward they're they're in a different program right now so uh, that's where we are and uh, we shall see in the next what five six hours if uh, if there's another mariner to talk about before this whole thing shuts down
0: regardless of where we go next we'll be back again we will talk some more mariners and there's a chance there's more to talk about even still. We're so, not
1: locked out, are we? No,
0: we're not locked out at all. We're not not at all beholden to the rules of Major League Baseball. we set our own rules. So until then, we'll talk to you guys next